the Philippines, 17 regions and 81 provinces spread across 7,641 islands, each one a home to people, places, and potential. The Philippines, a member of ASEAN, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, and Bimpiaga, the Brunei Darussalam, Indonesia, Malaysia, Philippines, East ASEAN Growth Area. There's definitely more to the Philippines than just the national capital region. Find out more about what the rest of the regions that comprise our archipelago and the regional groupings that our country is part of have to offer to us and to the world on Regional Roundup. Regional Roundup with Bing Kimpo. A closer look at the regions in and around us. A wider perspective of our islands and our part of the world. Welcome back to Regional Roundup. My name is Bing Kimpo. In this mini-series, we are focusing on Philippine tropical fibers. In episode 1, we began with an overview of the Philippine Textile Research Institute and got introduced to some Philippine tropical fibers, among them bandala, pineapple leaf, abaca, silk, banana, and bamboo. This episode will find out which regions of the Philippines produce these fibers, what these respective fibers are used for, and what we're doing to take advantage of their availability here in our country. We'll also talk about rethinking our approach to developing the Philippine tropical fibers industry. Again, our guide throughout this discussion on Philippine tropical fibers is Celia Ilumba. She is the director of the Department of Science and Technology's Philippine Textile Research Institute. Let's talk about uh, what we're doing right now. And this is for bandala, pineapple leaf, pineapple leaf, abaca, silk, banana, and bamboo. All right, so first of all, which parts of the countries produce significant uh, quantities of, of these different uh, sources of yarn? Um, to begin with, uh, Bing, let me just uh, also clarify the bamboo element. No, we, we, I, I think I failed to mention that the bamboo that we're working on, uh, we're using more of the mechanical conversion process. Because some will tell you that bamboo is not a new technology. It's really an old technology because it is the viscose process and so if people tell you it's very soft and very silky, then that bamboo is most likely used, uh, done or produced using that viscose process, which unless it is in the closed loop system is very, very environmentally unsound, right? Because of the use of very high to toxic chemicals and it is really something that is thrown out as an effluent to the environment. And it is not uh, the kind that will help us nurture, um, you know, sustainability in our environmental considerations. So what we are doing is more mechanical. Uh, we really spin the materials versus regenerate. The viscose regenerates at the cellulose, which I will say is not really bad. We're looking at doing it, but on the closed loop system, not the open system, which is the viscose process. So um, we will eventually be looking at that. A lot of our, a number of our projects now are looking at the beginnings of how we can regenerate our own. And just so that I won't mention it, well, perhaps I'll mention it more later, but it is really going towards the use of uh, natural materials as source for single-use, disposable, but biodegradable finished products. So these will take the place of, of plastic. That, that's, that's, the, that's the big plan. Yes. Right. Yes. 
Good so you were asking about their very locations. Um, you know, we have over, I always say over 600,000, but you know, a number that I had seen over a 2016 uh, issuance uh, coming from um, the PSA, the country stat report of the PSA, we have 803,000 hectares that is planted mainly to three things, abaca, banana, and pineapple. Um, and Mindanao, of course, boasts of the highest hectareages. Uh, Northern Mindanao to the Davao region, they have about 300,000, just those two locations. Um, and Soxargen has huge location, you know, huge number amount uh, that is going also to this. Um, when I say huge, it's about 81,000 hectares. You have your uh, Cagayan Valley with 46,000 hectares. Southern Tagalog with about 50,000. The numbers are quite significant. Mimaropa, Bicol region, Easter Visayas, they are there. Um, the lowest number that I have is coming from the Cordillera with 7,160. The Locos region with 10,800. And that is focused on cotton primarily. Sorry, and pineapple as well. But all the others, they boast of uh, these um, uh, regions, all boast of huge numbers of, of uh, this available materials all over the country. So when I speak of this wealth, this is the abundance that we have in natural resources. And like I mentioned, two of them are actually byproduct. They're agricultural waste. And all of this need not be planted. They're already planted. So it's not like they are looking for competition in terms of land use for food. Not anymore, with the exception perhaps of cotton, which is very, very small. We have under 10 hectares probably. Perhaps there's more that I'm not aware of. I know that uh, there has been a, um, a move from the Philfida side to really have more cotton plantations and perhaps we have maybe 30 hectares. But in, in, in comparison to what China would have by the millions, the US by the millions, um, uh, India by the millions of cotton farming, ours really suffer by comparison in terms of cotton, which brings me to another point. We should be really looking at the higher value cotton crop versus using the very same BT cotton that is readily available from India and China and the United States. That's that's really thinking more marketing wise. You can't, uh, you know, why play in that game of scale yeah. when we could actually just go higher and produce more, which gives us higher margins. Am yes. I right? Yes. And a differentiation, no. market differentiation at the end of the day. My question is this, uh, in, in that same conversation that I had with the uh, Fiber Development Authority, they were saying that one of the things that is probably working against us is that many of the farms that are producing uh, the fibers here in the Philippines, we tend to, uh, they, they tend to be smaller and they tend to be separate from each other. They aren't a contiguous plantation type. And that gives us a disadvantage because, well, if, if you're many smallholders, smallholder farmers, then people are not moving necessarily in the same direction. Yeah, uh, can you comment on I that? Can, yeah, I can agree with that. But you know what? Really, it's a chicken and egg proposition um, because there is no industry. There is no need to scale. And when we speak of, um, of, of that availability of fibers, they exist as literally 
fibers on the ground. They are not extracted. So even if industry wants to come on board to develop the yarns from that, you still have to do massive scaling up of extraction. As a concrete example, they have machineries that go from 8 to 20 kilos a day to be extracted by a single uh, machine. But for you to be an industry, I will now refer to what we, we, we are doing, the RIPIC, the Regional Yarn Production and Innovation Centers. A RIPIC can produce 50 kilos of yarns per day, spun yarn. That spun yarn, if we're going to now put in a natural textile fiber, I will need 2,500 to 2,800 kilos of fiber that is extracted for the purpose. That's per day. But if your capacity to extract is only 8 to 20, you're never going to have an industry. This is what I mean by it's a chicken and egg proposition. And this is the reason why we propose the right pick, so that we can have an engine that can pull from the ground and then push to the downstream. So at the end of the day, we have to now rethink that whole idea. I think farmers are really, I shouldn't say that. Um, everyone has a point of specialization. It depends on your focus. If you are looking at the farmers to have a second revenue stream, I think that will be a mistake. I think we should be looking at the farmers to focus on their farming, help them increase their productivity, provide them with plant management, better techniques, better tools, mechanize them. And you can have a second set of core, perhaps relatives of the farmers. That core group must now be looking at the extraction. And another group can be looking at the treatment. It's a core competency. We know this. You know, you go by strengths, right? So if your competence is really to farm, um, but you expect that when they're all tired out, out of farming, you still expect them to extract, I think that's asking a little bit much of the body. They're, they're physical beings, right? So, and there are other things that are involved. So I think we have to rethink that whole plan. So when they develop machines that are capable of going from a farmer to another farmer that can only give you eight to 20, you're going to need thousands and thousands and thousands of that. So that machine idea also has to be rethought, has to be scaled up. So we're now looking at machines that can give us 600 kilos per day. But having said that, that is still small in capacity. So I will look at models outside of the country. I have been referring this to them. I had already cited an organization in the US that went from, from machine fabricator to fiber supplier because they saw that this was going to be the next big thing, how to supply fiber for an industry to scale it up. So I think we have to revalidate re or re you know, rethink our models. They are not, yes, we'd love to have the farmers, you know, the lowly farmers on the ground. But I think we also have to rethink how we can do that. Um, and it is not by giving them a small size equipment that can help them to have a second revenue stream that does not have a second level, and I will, I will explain this a bit more. You know, in New Zealand, the whole country has this New Zealand Dairy Board, which is really a cooperative system. You have a community of small farms all over the country, all over the place. Of course, I don't know, but I can tell you that what they call a small farm is about 25 heads of cattle. That 25 heads of cattle has one caretaker milking all of that herd, right? but it was mechanized highly. And you know what the beauty was? You have one massive truck um, that is picking up. This is, of course, your refrigerated truck that tests the milk when it gets to the place. If it is good, loads it up on the truck and then brings it to a main processing facility. Why can't we have a similar model where you have small groups of farmers 
and you can have just one uh, major organization picking it up as a cooperative system to bring it to a place where you can process it. Therefore, what you need is organization. You need really a different management model, um, a different system on how to bring everybody together in, in the same objective. To me, it has to be a, a commercial perspective, which is perhaps what is missing. Um, our perspective remains on the small, like you said, I think, Alamin, which is also fantastic. It's great because for all of those who would like to get started with something, that's wonderful. But how do you scale up? We can't always have, we can't always have the ideal, which is a small farmer. We'd love to be able to see the same wealth that is synonymous with farmers from Europe and the United States. If you're a farmer, you have to be wealthy. You must be wealthy in those Western economies. But in our case, it's the opposite. The farmers don't get there. I think we have to ask why. Um, and, and it's the model that is presented to them. It's the level of mechanization. It's the level of engagement, I suppose. Uh, I would put it that way. So the infra by infra, the systems orientation perhaps needs to be, to be reviewed. Uh, there is a no commercial perspective or sustainability perspective instead of I hope it's not an overused term, but sustainability essentially means that if you look at that framework of uh, cradle to cradle, if you the first element is you must make a profit. If you don't make a profit, you have no sustainability. So I think that's that's perhaps missing from a number of conversations. We have to inject um, that longer term sustainability plan in our farming activities. So refreshing to hear that uh, from you. Thank you very much. Well, maybe they will say, because you're not a farmer, you don't know what you're talking about. Even your perspective, I'm coming from a different plane. Uh, but certainly, um, I, I think that it is very doable because other economies around the world have made it happen. But they that's those models. That's precisely why we need different perspectives. We, we need an outsider, an outsider's perspective to these things. Because, you know, we cannot keep on doing the same things all over and over again. Oh, we've been doing it for so long. So. Exactly. Uh, let's talk about these tropical fibers. So again, uh, the focus right now is uh, is on bandala, pineapple leaf, ambaka, silk, banana, and bamboo. Okay. For the uninitiated, what is each good for? In short, what is the end product for each one? Yeah, first of all, um, each becomes um, a blend material for... We're using right now, we're using cotton. Cotton is still... Uh, a very well-studied material. It combines very easily and very well. It provides the pliancy to our own materials, which are not as pliant in its natural form or natural state. Uh, we're also using lyocell, a regenerated cellulose in the closed-loop system, but which is not yet available, or we don't produce it here. We import it from, from Austria. But this is a very good environmental model, which we are copying. So at the end of the day, we're blending this with our uh, cotton materials from the Philippines. And when you ask what they are good for, first of all, they have to be made into yarns. To do that, you first have to treat them so they become pliant. They become processable. 
in its natural state. And the example of the natural state, you think of abaca, abaca in the use of the tanalak by the Tibolis or other indigenous communities. Um, the, the Hanunu was coming from, from, um, from Oriental, from Mindoro, for example, or the, uh, the, the tribes of Bukidnon, many different parts of a country. The Mandayas, they all use abaca in its natural raw state. You know that that is not so soft, right? That is, and this is really, they nut this. Singular long fibers are knotted. So that takes a bit of a long time. And this is also the reason why they become rather pricey or rather costly. Then think of the, I mentioned earlier, the red Spanish pineapple, which are also knotted individually because they are, this is a pineapple that grows uh, very long leaves. It therefore is grown for the leaf or the fiber rather than for the fruit. I'm told that the fruit doesn't really taste, doesn't really taste good. And, and this is really the wisdom of nature, right? I mean, you can't have everything at the end of the day, I suppose, no? But, uh, but yes, the, the fruit is more ornamental. It is more for decorative purposes rather than for fruiting or eating purposes. So those two, when you really look at its original state, they are rather stiff and very, they have, its, they have a structure, may body siya. And in a lot of cases, they either have to be beaten, which is why they call it pinokpok or tinagak. They have to be beaten. So pinokpok siya. And when you consider the olden days or the, the, the you know, in the, the Spanish period, the pre-Spanish or post-Spanish, I imagine that, you know, imagine that the women were in the Batisan in the spring. You have this in, in folklore or Filipino readings, right? The women are in and the And in a lot of paintings as well. Yeah, in the paintings. And there, I mean, yung... There's a term for that. I forget the term. But that is what makes it soft to wear. We don't do that today. And so we have to spin the yarns. And to spin the yarns, you have to cut them into smaller or shorter fibers. So we treat them to make them softer. And then we, uh, we spin them. There's a processing. Spinning is just one word, but it actually has 14 different uh, processes that are related to it. And after you do that, now you have the yarn, you have to finish the yarn. You have to make it softer further. You have to remove whatever slubs or, or things that will make it difficult to weave. So there's the weavability factor. And after you weave it, you have to color, dye, or finish, and you make it into a textile product. The textile product is anything that you wear, anything for you as a person or your home. Uh, think of your placemats, your runners, your curtains, your beddings, your linens, um, and I mentioned earlier, your medical, your substrates. You know, if you have heard of a company called Pinatex or Bananatex, Pinatex right. is a woven material that is a non, it's, it's an alternative to leather. It's the, what they call the vegan leather. And uh, it is made of a pineapple leaf, which is made as a non-woven structure, sent to Italy and Spain and finished there. And it is sold worldwide as a material that can be used for, whether it is for your upholstery or your handbags or your shoes, your footwear. Um, the same is true for the banana text, which is also then produced outside of the country. This is spun and woven out of uh, Taiwan and then sent to China for finishing and then sold worldwide as finished product. And sold Beautiful. back to us. If we want to buy it, yes. It's quite a it's beautiful, it's quite beautiful product. But expensive. Quite, but beautiful product. But they have the industry to do this. So, you know, that is what we envy them off. They envy us because we have the raw material, but we have no industry to boast of. They don't have the raw material, but they have the capacity machine-wise and, of course, technology-wise to do so. So the applications are very, very wide. Um, we, 
I'll give you a very concrete example. Part of our technology business incubation program, there is a, a social enterprise, well, an enterprise that is read, that is enrolled in that program. This is Creative Definitions. They are the makers of the Lakat Sustainable Footwear. The Lakat Sustainable Footwear was was featured in that mall exhibit that you mentioned, and that material is produced at the ICYD, the Innovation for for Innovation Center for Yarns and Textiles of the Philippine Textile Research Institute. It was produced there. It is 70% cotton, 30% pineapple leaf. That yarn is then sent to Negros uh, Occidental for weaving by the Cabancalan weavers, Negros Nine Foundation. It is sent back to Manila to be finished with a water repellency, also colored up, and made into footwear in Montalban, if I'm not mistaken. Um, not Marikina, as I thought it was, in Montalban. And you have the Lakat Sustainable Footwear. The insole is a non-woven material made of 100% pineapple cotton, also developed in the institute. So it's it's already used for for locally developed commercial products. Plus a number of other social enterprises or entrepreneurs who do this in 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 small batches, small batch production. So there are a number of them already. And that was episode two. Next episode, we'll again be talking with Director Celia Elumba of the Department of Science and Technology's Philippine Textile Research Institute. On the agenda, the demand for products made of or with Philippine tropical fibers. My name is Bing, and this has been another episode of Regional Roundup.